Hi guys, today I decided to talk a little bit about acne. I see many young patients coming to see me to get hormonal birth control for treatment of acne. So what is acne? Hi, my name is Dr. Mona Hardis. I'm an OBGYN from Flint, Michigan, and thank you for tuning into my podcast, Paging Your Gyno. So let's talk about acne. Acne is a skin condition in which your hair follicles get clogged up or plugged with the oil as well as dead skin cells. It can really happen at any age, but it's more common at younger age. It can present as a white head or a black head or a pimple. The area may get really solid, painful, and lumpy under the skin, forming a nodule, or sometimes there is a pus formation making it cystic, and it's called cystic acne. Now, acne can be seen on a face, on a back, chest, shoulders, a lot of different areas. Acne is very, very common. At any time, 50 million Americans suffer from it. It's estimated that 85% people in United States experience acne between the age of 12 and 24 years. So it is that common. So remember, you are not the only one suffering from it. There are lots of people out there um, who are concerned about the appearance of the skin as well as their acne. So there are four main causes of acne. Number one is excess oil production. Number two, Hair follicles get clogged by oil and dead skin cells. Number three, presence of bacteria, which are always present on all our skin surfaces. And fourth is the inflammation. So when there is excess oil production and there are oil producing glands or also the sweat glands at the end of the hair follicle, So when there's a lot of oil being produced, the follicle bulges and it bulges through the surface of the skin, making it look like a white head. Now with the pressure, this will burst open to the surface. So when it's exposed, when this material is exposed, the skin bacteria will grow in it and that and inflammation with the exposure to the air will change the color of it, making it look like a blackhead. Now, if the bacteria continue to grow and the inflammation continues, then it will form like a painful nodule or a hard area or a nodular acne. Again, as the process continues more and more, the pus formation happens in this area, making this area cystic, and this causes cystic acne. Now, there are some things which can trigger or worsen acne. So the commonest one is the hormone changes. So do you see this hormone changes at puberty, in pregnancy, and that those are the age ranges where acne is more common. So what happens? There's a hormone called an androgen 
or it's a male hormone the level of this hormone increases in boys as well as in girls during puberty now this androgen has an effect on the oil production and it increases the oil and sebaceous secretion from your hair follicles in making you more prone to acne now there are certain medications like steroids or a testosterone uh, medications and lithium which can increase um, the ac- the oil production and in turn acne diet plays some role now diet which is high in glycemic index like a carbohydrate rich diet uh, for example bread or bagel or chips something which is high in carbohydrate will increase um, your risk of um, getting acne now people blame stress for acne now remember stress will not cause acne but if you already have acne the stress is going to make it worse so while we are talking about this why don't we talk a little bit about certain myths associated with acne um there are so many um myths or false stories um around acne the commonest one is if i eat chocolate or oily food will i get acne no absolutely not there is no truth to this chocolate or oily food is not associated with acne what is associated with acne as i told you just now is the food which is high in glycemic index like a high carbohydrate food now some people think that if the skin is dirty it's going to cause acne again this is not true dirty skin does not cause acne on the other hand if you scrub your skin too much you use some like harsh chemicals in a uh, scrubbing pads or or even the washcloths the skin is going to get irritated it's going to um get um dry and um, because of that irritated skin the bacteria will grow in and you may get acne so be very care- be very careful when you are cleaning your skin now third is like using cosmetics worsen the acne again this is not true if you use uh, cosmetics for sensitive skin if you use oil free and alcohol free makeup you should be okay you don't have to worry about um getting acne because of that make sure you clean your face regularly though um and also cosmetics do not make your treatment of acne ineffective it's totally fine to use it so let's talk about some risk factors associated with acne now age is an important risk factor i told you acne can happen at any age but it's more common in teenagers um as well as at the time of um puberty and pregnancy and why because of the hormonal changes so hormonal ups and down is a second risk factor for this family history plays an important part um genetics do play a role um if you both your parents had um acne then that does increase your risk of getting acne 
excessive use of oily lotions and creams especially sunscreens which are oily can increase your uh, risk of getting acne constant or repeated friction or pressure on your skin like if you are using a telephone and a telephone wire rubbing on your face or a cell phone by your side um helmet if you are using it all the time or hats tight clothing a tight backpack can increase the pressure sweating in that area and cause um acne if you are in a habit of constantly touching your face again you are uh, touch your 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 hands have bacteria and you increase your risk of acne and last but not least is forgetting to wash your face daily that's really really important um so that you can clean all the bacteria from the surface of the skin and decrease the uh, risk of getting acne so so let's talk about what can we do to prevent acne or if we have acne what can we do to clear it the most important thing is to wash your face twice a day especially after sweating like if you are wearing a hat or a helmet or you are exercising please 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 wash your face so wash off all the the oily uh, sweaty as well as the bacteria from your um from your skin now when you wash your face use your fingertips and apply just a gentle pressure use a non abrasive cleaner using a washcloth or a mesh sponge can cause irritation of the skin and will um actually increase your risk of getting acne be very gentle to your skin okay use the products which are alcohol free um products like astringents and toners and exfoliants they can make your skin dry and irritated and if that's what's happening then stop using them because this will increase your risk not decrease your risk do not scrub your face scrubbing the skin can make acne worse especially if you have acne already don't scrub it cuz it's going to make it worse use warm water don't use very hot water cuz hot water will dry up your skin and increase your risk shampoo regularly especially if you have oily hair okay um and you know let your skin heal naturally don't pick or pop or squeeze your acne let it heal it's going to be fine it body has its own defense mechanism it has its own um fighter cells and it will get rid of those bacteria keep your hands off your face please do not constantly touch your face or touch that acne to see is it getting better it's not going to change it takes time so keep don't keep touching your face stay out of the sun and tanning beds now remember tanning does damage your skin and if you are using any acne products um even over the counter they will make your skin a little bit more sensitive to ultraviolet light so please stay away from the tanning beds okay um makeup everybody uses it every day um it's okay to use the makeup but just make sure that you use the products which are for sensitive skin and avoid oil based products 
If you shave your face, use an electric shaver or a sharp safety razor for shaving. Soften your skin first with some warm water before you apply any shaving cream. Now, if you have acne on your back or on your um, shoulders, then make sure you don't use very tight clothes or tight backpack. Um, just, just use some loose clothing, let your skin breathe a little bit so it's not too oily and the acne which are already there will heal faster. Now acne, I told you, could be very mild, uh, like a small, ba- you know, small pimples or whitehead or, a, or, or even blackheads. And you can very well uh, treat them at home with over-the-counter products. Now there are zillions of over-the-counter products available. There are different gels and soaps and pads and creams and lotions and whatnot, right? There's so much out there. So when you are selecting a product, be mindful of few things. Number, what, what, are, what is our aim of when we are using this product? We need three things, right? Number one, the product should unclog the pores, correct? Number two, it should decrease the number of bacteria. And number three, it should increase the cell turnover time so the dead cells are gone and a nice new fresh cells are produced so those are the three things we need to achieve when we are using a product now different products have got a combination of different things but there are six things which you you will see when you read the product descriptions that they are present and you might have to use a combination of couple products to 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 achieve our goals so what do this, these over-the-counter products have? The commonest one is a benzoyl peroxide. What benzoyl peroxide does is that it kills bacteria, it decreases the serum production, and it, it does increase the skin um, replacement. So in general, just benzoyl peroxide can achieve all the three things I was talking to you about, and you can start using that first. But a few things you have to remember. It has to be used daily, and it will take at least four weeks before you see the changes. Now, benzoyl peroxide can be very drying, and it can cause dry skin. It can also bleach the fabric, so be very mindful when you put it on. If it's causing too much of a dryness, then I won't use it every day. Maybe start using it a few times a week and slowly as your skin gets used to it, then um, start using it daily after that. Then second is called salicylic acid. What salicylic acid does is that um, it does two things. It does unclog the pores and it decreases inflammation. Again, salicylic acid has to be used continuously daily. Um, eventually, again, start every other day or two times a week. Let you get used to it and then go daily because it can again dry your skin. Um, once you stop using the product, you may see that the acne comes back. It has to be on your skin. The third one is called resorcinol. What it does is that it breaks down the blackheads and the whiteheads. So you can use that in combination with benzoyl peroxide or, or, or even salicylic acid. The fourth product in these over-the-counter um, medication is called Retin-A. 
Now retina is a pretty potent product. What it does is that it increases the cell turnover. So now because the cell turnover has decreased, it unblocks the pores. Now it takes time before you see the changes from, um, from retina. It takes eight to 12 weeks. So be very mindful. And you know what happens that first time when you start using retina, you might see that your acne have gone worse. It really hasn't gone worse. What it is doing is that it's working on the acne which were already started forming under the skin and you didn't see them. But they were there and you would have seen them later. So it starts working on them. So it might look for a little bit that it's gone worse. But just be patient. Give it some time. As I said, it takes 8 to 12 weeks before you see the effect of it. Again, retin-A can dry your skin very well, it, very much. It may make your skin more sensitive. So start a few times a week and then slowly increase it. The fifth one I um, wanted to tell you was cause azelic acid. What it does is that it again decreases the growth of bacteria. So you can combine them with a benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid and use those two products. And the last but not least is called alpha hydroxy acids. Now alpha hydroxy acids, the common ones which are available over the counter are glycolic acid and lactic acid as well. So um, you can use them as a combination. I was just looking at some studies um, and there is, a, there is a study from Mayo Clinic where they study some natural products and found out that it does have an effect on acne and those are tea tree oil, zinc and brewer's yeast. Now, um, how much to use, I don't have any suggestion for you, but maybe talk to your doctor and, um, and, uh, and see if that's something you would like to use. Now, this was this over-the-counter products which are out there works, this treatment works are pretty good for people who have got milder acne. Now, if you have moderate to severe acne, you should see your either a primary care doctor or your dermatologist. Because what they're gonna do, they obviously are gonna do a thorough um, uh, history taking and examination. They're gonna do a clinical examination to make sure there are no other conditions. There are certain medical conditions which are associated with increased acne. For example, um, hormonal imbalances, um, increased um, increased testosterone production, which is causing hirsutism or um, androgenism, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome. So there are a few things they need to rule out. So they might order some blood work, hormone test before they um, start treating you. So please see your doctor. Now, treatment-wise, there are so many options out there. One of it is called corticosteroid injections. So what happens is that if the, if the acne become really cystic and inflamed, they can break open and there will be scar formation after rupture of the cystic acne. Now, this scarring can be disfiguring. So by injecting a diluted steroid into the acne areas, um, it can decrease the inflammation and, and scarring and it will speed up the healing. So if you are a candidate for steroid injection, your doctor might consider that. 
there are some some people use uh, topical um, anti uh, antibiotics or to topical antimicrobial we call them what it does is this antibiotic decreases the bacterial load the only problem with using antibiotics topically is that it has a very limited penetration and it may cause resistant bacteria like the bacteria now after a while will not be responding to this but sometimes these are used for up to 6 months or so the commonest ones are clindamycin and sodium um, sulfacetamide the oral antibiotics are better they also are given up to 6 months daily and how they do is that through the blood they go to the area which has got acne and they decrease the um, number of bacteria as well as inflammation and if bacteria get resistant to one kind of an antibiotic then your doctor will change it to a different kind um the commonest one are erythromycin and tetracycline oral contraceptives work also really good um in the treatment of acne um what they do is that by giving you a continuous dose of estrogen and progesterone daily it will prevent those ups and downs in the hormone level number 1 and it also decreases the level of uh, testosterone or androgen by binding them and making them less effective couple things about birth control you have to make sure um you are going to talk to your doctor and make sure that you are a candidate you do not have any risk factors for the hormonal contraception and number 2 it takes 3 to 4 months before you see the effect of oral contraceptive or any hormonal treatment so be please be patient the last but not least is called isotretinoin or commonly known as accutane it's an oral retinoid and is used in case of severe cystic acne uh, which has not responded to any other medications it is a controlled substance and it has got serious side effects so it's going to be the last treatment option your doctor is going to give you it has to be done under guidance of your physician the side effects of accutane could be drying of the skin dry lips nose bleed uh, mood swings it may change your liver enzymes increase the liver enzymes it may cause a temporary hair loss or um it may decrease your night vision please 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 use birth control because you should not get pregnant while you are taking accutane because accutane can cause um fetal abnormalities so it's really important it's done only for a limited amount of time because of the side effects now sometimes the acne when they are not treated and they get severe they get cystic and then they can cause scarring now there are treatment for acne scarring there are several um products available as well as um there are several procedures are done to remove the scars so basically it's the treatments are um aimed at removing the superficial scar tissue and exposing the nice unblemished skin underneath it 
um, one of the treatment option could be a chemical peel now in chemical peel your doctor applies a chemical solution to the scar tissue to remove the top layer of the skin and this will minimize the appearance of deeper scar they come in different concentration mild medium to deep penit- deep peel potential side effect of it could cause like skin color changes um, especially if it is used like a deep penetration pill on a dark skin so again it's done under the guidance of your doctor now um, microderma abrasion is um, is another procedure which is um, sometimes offered for the scarring so again in this your doctor removes the top layer of the skin with a rapidly rotating brush or the other devices so surface scar is sometimes completely removed and um, if there are deep scars then they look less noticeable again if it is too deep then it can cause scarring and color changes as well so again done under uh, guidance of your doctor now there are some uh, laser resurfacing um, approaches also they are getting more and pop- more and more popular um, and uh, if the scar is left over after dermabrasion then the laser can be offered um, micro needling this their doctor will roll needle studded device over the skin to stimulate the collagen formation it's safe it's simple and it's pretty effective technique for acne scarring um it does have a small risk of discoloration of the skin though but the results are very subtle and you might need repeated treatments for this sometimes the skin around the acne scar kind of get puckered so injecting botox will relax the surrounding skin and will improve the appearance of the acne scar so that can be offered too um sometimes um um fillers are 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 injected into the area of the um scarring and what it does is that it plumps up that area so if the scar so the scar is going to be less noticeable these the the fillers can last up to 18 to 24 months and they have no risk of change in the color um and it's only thing the is that every year and a half to two you may need a repeated treatment but it also works out pretty good um so there are several treatment options which are out there for the um acne scars as well so good idea to talk to a doctor about it now acne affects people in many ways right it does not just affect their appearance it can take a toll on their emotional health there are several studies done and we also know from our personal experiences that acne can cause depression can cause anxiety low self esteem poor self image loneliness and a decreased quality of life in younger kids bullying can happen in school and that's then people start feeling embarrassed and self conscious and remember severity of acne has nothing to do with the emotional health especially in teenagers even with mild acne it can cause a lot of emotional distress 
and early treatment can prevent the emotional distress it, and it will prevent any acne scarring. Early treatment can clear the skin and prevent from acne from uh, worsening as well. So it's really important to start the treatment early. So if you are a teenager or you are a parent and you think that acne is causing some distress, please, please start by developing some healthy habits. Try over-the-counter products to see if they help at home. And um, otherwise, please see your doctor and get some help. You, we can prevent it and we don't need to suffer um, the emotional toll of this acne um, condition. So please, please get some help. Thank you for listening today. I hope this information you find helpful. If you have any questions regarding acne or its treatment, please email me. My email address is hardasobgyn at gmail.com. You can DM me at my Instagram account, which is glamguynow. And, um, or you can contact me on my Facebook page, which is Mona Hardas OBGYN. Thank you again, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Hi, guys. Welcome to my podcast, Paging Your Guy Now. Today, we are going to talk about eating disorders. Each one of us has a very unique relationship with food. It's different for different people. For some, it's a source of comfort, indulgence, or even sustenance. And for others, it could be something negative and unhealthy. So eating disorder is nothing but an unhealthy relationship of a person with food. It's one of the commonest um, chronic mental disorders out there. To the point, at a time, 30 million Americans are suffering with this. It is the third common chronic illness in um, teenage girls. So it's very, very common. And today to talk about this, I have my dear friend, Lindsay Clark here. Lindsay is a beautiful mother of three. She has three children, um, 13, 11, and nine years old. She's very, um, she's very uh, involved in our local community. She has a charitable work with uh, Hurley Medical Center, is one of our local hospitals. She's a vice chair of the Hurley Foundation Board. She is very passionate about health and fitness, and she is a professional athlete in a natural bodybuilding world. Thank you, Lindsay, for doing this. I really appreciate your openness and honesty about talking about um, mental health as well as eating disorder. People don't usually acknowledge this or they just deny it. A lot of them are in denial till it's too late. So thank you for coming on our podcast and I want you to say something about yourself. Thank you for having me. Um, The reason that I would like to share my story is just because if I can make some people or anybody feel less alone, um, then it was worth it. 
it's um, an eating disorder can be a very shameful experience and it is a very dark existence to live through. Um, but I am, you know, almost 40 years old now. I've been dealing with this since I was 12 years old. And I really think that I have, I've kind of found my way out. So um, I would just like to, you know, share my story and how, how, it, how it started as an eating disorder and it evolved into much more, it, you know, that I turned into anxiety and depression. And um, I've actually been in treatment for eating disorders over 20 times in three different states. Um, it was a real battle and I'm very grateful that my parents were able to fight for me and with me and continue to send me to different places. And then as an adult, it more manifested into more of an anxiety and depression um, situation, which I've also been in treatment for a couple of times as well. Mm-hmm. So. so tell me how you said you were 12 years old when it started, right? So how, how did it start? Like what, what, what started happening then? So I was 12 and I actually didn't really know what I was doing or what was happening. Um, I think it started as a feeling of not being in control of, mm-hmm. a, of a situation. And mm-hmm. so if you think about things that you can control, the mm-hmm. one thing that you can really control is yourself. Right. Um, you can't change who you are. You can't change your family. You can't change the way others act. But you can control yourself and your body. Right. Um, so it, what, I was always very, very thin. I am a very petite person. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with my weight. It wasn't like I lost a significant amount of weight. Um, so at 12 years old, I just, I, I literally just kind of stopped eating. I was in a modeling class and I had this teacher tell me, I'll never forget her, that she ate five grams of fat a day. So I went home and started eating five grams of fat a day that very, very day. Um, the, around 11, 12, that's like that really awkward stage. My daughter's actually 11. So I've got my eyes like wide open. Mm -hmm. It's a very scary thing to be somebody who had an eating disorder and then have a daughter. Um, but I just like really thrived in the control of of not eating and you become very good at it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had all the tricks and you know, everything and everyone would say, how did your mom not know? Well, my mom didn't know because when she came down in the morning, there was a bowl of cereal with a few things of cereal in it. Mm -hmm. She didn't watch me eat. I went to school all day long and my mom actually taught dance at night. So she wasn't home for dinner. Mm -hmm. It was very, very easy. Um, as I started to lose a little bit of weight I just wore layers of clothing Mm -hmm. so she doesn't watch you get dressed in the morning I mean she just she just didn't know um the shape of my face was got really thin Mm -hmm. and this is something that was really um like alarming to her but I also had a spacer in I was getting ready to have braces and all kinds of things and so you know she I think she was starting to figure it out but didn't want to know um how it came about was that I had a friend and I went to her house every Friday night and every Friday night this friend had pizza Mm -hmm. and I'd been doing it for years and the mom noticed that I stopped eating pizza Mm -hmm. and then she kind of noticed that I didn't have the donuts in the morning. I didn't, I didn't eat anything at her house. And so she and my, and my friend one night said that I could tell my mom or they could tell my mom. Um, and they were, they gave me like less than a day. So I went downstairs. And I literally just started taking, I said, mom, I have to tell you something. And I literally just started taking off layers upon layers upon layers of clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she was devastated. Mm -hmm. She took me to a therapist the next day and they took me directly from there to be admitted into the hospital. And I was down at Beaumont Hospital in the eating disorder Mm -hmm. um, spot. It was actually in the psych ward. Um, There, I'm going to say, is where I learned how to be anorexic. Mm -hmm. I learned what I was doing um, by all the people there were pros at it. Mm -hmm. And it really did the opposite. I mean, I ate whatever they told me to eat so so I could get out. I wasn't going to stay there. But I came home and this cycle repeated and repeated and repeated. Um, I was in therapy. I was doing all the things. My parents were doing all of the things. But it just, it had such a hold of me that it didn't, it didn't matter anymore. Um, All of my days were spent wishing the day away. I just Mm -hmm. wanted all the days to end. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to see people I just wanted to lay in bed and when it was like Friday evening at 8 p.m. I already started worrying about having to go somewhere on Monday it was just a really really tough tough thing so this kind of repeated itself over and over and over again I was in that hospital many many times um when I was I think 13 Uh um they took me to Denver Children's Hospital they were looking for more of a long-term treatment plan for me. And that place was excellent. Um, they wanted to, I was on a medical floor because I was so medically unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart rate in the night was dropping to 26, 25. Oh. They were, you know, they would come in and kick my bed and clap and sing and dance and try to get me up. Um, but my parents were told to, they were not allowed to stay. They had to take me to Denver and leave me, and they were told to say goodbye hmm. because I was either going to make it or I wasn't, but hmm. something was going to happen there. Right, right. So um, I stayed there all by myself, fighting for my life with a feeding tube in a wheelchair. Um, they didn't let me walk around at all, and I got better, and I came home, and I did really, really well for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, I figured it out, and I followed the plan, and I went to therapy, and I did the things I was supposed to do. Um, but for some reason, I hadn't really figured out the cause of all of this. So what did they teach you there which helped you? I think because you had some treatments before, yes. they failed. Yes. And obviously they treated you more on a psych ward. This was more like a medical floor. Did that make a difference? Or they gave you some tools to, to deal with this on your own? They did. They gave me some tools to deal with it. And they... It was a different staff. I'm going to tell you that they were loving. It was a children's hospital. Mm -hmm. They cared about me. I had therapy there all the time. I had, um, you know, occupational therapy. They, my parents weren't there. I had nurses take me on outings. I just, they, they poured into me and they had a different approach. I had Mm -hmm. a lot of medical complications. So the first time I was there, I did not get as much of the therapy as I probably should have Mm -hmm. because of the fact that I wasn't medically stable enough to go to the rooms and, mm-hmm. and, and do those things. Right. Um, but I also think that at that point, a lot of what it was for me was just that they actually kept me long enough mm-hmm. to um, get my body healthy again. So okay. in the psych ward, you're there eight days, 13 days, two right. weeks, maybe three weeks. But to be the first time I was in Denver, I was there for over two months. Okay, wow. So they actually were able to put the weight on me, which makes your brain work a little mm-hmm. bit better. Yeah. And that is sort of what helped. Yeah. Um, but I came home and I still hadn't really done, I mean, I did the physical work, but I don't think I did the mental mm-hmm. work that I needed to. And it could have just been because I was so young. Yeah, that's true too. It could have been. That's true too. So I went back. 
to again. Denver again. I went back mm-hmm. to Denver again. Yeah. And I stayed a really long time, mm-hmm. like three and a half months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I did the work again and I started over and it was a great program and they got me healthy and, you know, all the things again. But for some reason, I just couldn't let it go. Yeah. So I did well for a while. So it's a control issue, isn't it? That's what most of the It is. And say. for all of these hospitalizations, these hospitalizations were not my choice. And I think that's the ticket. Oh. These hospitalizations were my parents' choice. Uh-huh. For their dying daughter. Right. You know, they just kept doing what whatever they could do, but I didn't want to go. Working. I didn't I didn't want to go. I didn't care. I was fine. You thought you were fine. Yeah. Nothing was wrong with mm-hmm. you again. Yes, I yeah, I just common... I literally knew that I knew there was something wrong with me, mm-hmm. but it, I didn't know what or why. Hmm. So the game changer in my eating disorder um, came several years later. So I'd been out of treatment for a very long time. I went away to college. I did really well. I had a lot of fun. I liked being out of my house. I liked being independent. Mm-hmm. I liked, you know, kind of, I had more control when I didn't live at home. Not that my, right. my parents weren't even strict. It wasn't right. about that. Right. It was just like I got to do and make my own choices mm-hmm. and be away and you know things like that but as college went on and got harder I got really sick I'm gonna say the sickest you know oh, that really? I've been uh-huh. um it wasn't necessarily that my weight was the lowest but I was like I was a broken Mentally. human being yeah. yeah I remember barely being able to walk across the stage for when I graduated from western I mean I was just so so frail wow. and sick uh-huh. um I came home and I moved in with my boyfriend, mm-hmm. who's my husband, um, into an apartment. And we'd been dating for quite a while now. And all I wanted to do was get married and have kids. Mm. And now I'd been, I was done with school. I was working for my mom. Okay. I mean, I had all the things in a row that I was supposed to have. Mm-hmm. I just was starving myself to death. Again. Again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting really mad at Matt. I was getting really sick of him. And finally, I was like, what is your problem? Like, I'm, we're going to move on. If we're not going to get married, we're going to move on. Huh. And he said to me um, some life-saving words. He said to me that, I love you, mm-hmm. and I will never leave you, mm-hmm. but I will never marry you to be a widow. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very, very shortly after that that so I opened up for I you. made the decision. Okay. I researched the place. I reached back out to um, my doctor, whom I loved in um, Colorado. Uh-huh. And I went over a few places, and we came up with a place called um, Laureate, mm-hmm. and it's in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I talked to my parents, and I said, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 23 yeah. years old, and I went there for four and a half months. Oh, okay. And that was um, just a life-changing decision. When I got there, again, my body was in such distress. I was back on bed rest again. Um, I left some, I lost some function in like the lower left ventricle of my heart. I had Mm -hmm. cardiac issues. They told me I would never have children. Hmm. Um, I didn't have periods. Um, when they tried to refeed me, I was there six weeks, um, being refed and tube fed. And all I was doing was losing weight. Um, my body just couldn't, it just couldn't fight. Fight I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, that's right. Um, so but there, they had a really great program. So I was from like a medical floor to like the normal housing, which is just with a bunch of other people. You were busy there from 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 6 p.m. Oh, wow. You okay. got up, you ate breakfast, you did the snack, you went to 
um, different groups. I mean, different therapy groups all day long. Wow, it sweet. was like exhausting and they would not let you have really any free time, you know, sometimes on the weekends, um, not really any visitors. Matt did fly out for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, there I am in a wheelchair with a feeding tube and here comes the man I'm really wanting to marry, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, I think he was shocked at what he actually saw. So, yeah. But after that, then you started, they, they had like these different steps of programming where you moved into different houses mm-hmm. and, um, depending on the level that you were. And they also had a place called Magnolia House that you could move into if you didn't have anything going at home where like you could actually just live there and have a job and do your oh. own thing. And you sort of went to meetings like you were going to AA. It was sort of right. that type of thing. Right. Uh-huh. I did not do that because um, four and a half months was good for me, I right. felt like. Yeah. But they didn't just get me to a normal weight. They got me to a normal weight and they kept me at a normal at weight the, for um, a very long time. Okay. Um, they did a lot of practicing. They taught me about food. They taught me about nutrition. They talked about like pain and shame and mm-hmm. where all these feelings come in and what we're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave me focuses that were not about food to, to work on. They, right. we talked about the family that I wanted and, you know, goals to reach, to reach that. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of giving me a purpose other than to just be thin right. was sort of how it went. So a little curious about the treatment plans you went through because you had a variety of different yeah. treatments. So I know people admit the patient, get them back to mm-hmm. their normal weight, but do they give you a program or any tools to how to continue doing that later? Because you are different in an institution, right? Mm-hmm. There, you're constantly watched, there's yes. somebody, but once you are out and out there on your own, yes. do they teach you? Do they tell well, you? They said the... the, the institutions that you go to, they're going to set you up for success. So before you leave, there have been therapists interviewed and Uh set up. uh You've done team calls with them. So before you're even there, Uh they find you a dietitian. They like, they literally build your team by your house Uh for you before Uh you get there. Oh, before you get there. Yeah. So it's not like I was discharging like, okay, I need to find a new therapist. No, we went, we we weeded out therapists and we had a connection before I left of who I was going to go to. And I had the schedule. And then, I mean, ultimately it was up to me to follow through and maintain, but they definitely set me up where when you leave like just a quickie, like the BOMA, you, they're like, bye, see at the door closes. Mm. There's nothing really there. And speaking of therapists, holy moly, I have had all of them in the world. Um, I'm a tough cookie to, (laughs) to deal with. I do know that. Um, but I think one of the most important things is finding somebody that you truly connect with and mm-hmm. that actually knows what they're doing. That's the hard That's thing. That's true. I found a lot of people that just want to medicate you. Mm-hmm. Um, medication can help with things, but there's no pill for an eating disorder. No, and I was on no. every pill you could ever imagine in your life that right. they thought would help me. Um, so you have to like you have to know where the connection is. I've been kicked out of many of them. That's really <laughs> lovely. Um, dietitians, the same thing. You have to mesh with them. They they have to come to a common ground. Somebody bossing me around and telling uh-huh. me you will do this and you will eat this is not going to work for me. It right. never has. Right. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up doing really really well and I got married. Um, and I had three babies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had those babies. Um, eating, and you did good through yeah, your Yeah, eating disorder during pregnancy for me was the best it's ever been in my whole life. Um, yeah. It wasn't about me, and there was truly a disconnection between the two. Now, I will say my first baby, 
I did good and I gained like a normal amount of weight. My other ones I did not gain right. a normal amount of right. weight at all. But my pregnancies weren't normal. Yeah. I was on bed rest for half of one. Right. Different reason yeah, though. It, not, yeah. It had nothing yeah. to do with that. So yeah. that was a little bit tricky. Um, I think I was very, very tested after my third son. Right. So my third son, um, I had a terrible pregnancy that had nothing to do with what happened to him. But I had been on bed rest from 19 to 36 weeks. So um, for somebody with an eating disorder, that's a really tough time to not have any movement. Right. Like I wasn't exercising. I couldn't doing it. I literally couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was ready to have him and just have my life back. And he almost didn't make it. So, um, that was a tricky spot for me. Um, that felt like a loss of control. It again. was a huge loss of control because I'm watching them like day after day, bag my baby and try to bring my baby back and my, you know, then he's laying in there paralyzed. And then, you know, once I finally got him home, he was always in the hospital and like a whole year of just neurology, PT, OT, like right. it was just sickness after sickness. So I think that I did really well through that too because I once he was out of the NICU, mm-hmm. I used that like I I that was my full time job. Like I controlled how I was going to fix him, okay, and I became so very infatuated focus, with yeah. The, yeah, very infatuated mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think that I ended up once he became okay, I had some PTSD after yes yeah. because I didn't um, I did not allow myself to feel mm-hmm. the pain of almost losing when my it kid. was happening yeah. yes yeah so i you know i can be really tough and i got through that and then like his first birthday rolled around and i lost my mind yeah. um pretty much really lost my mind i mean i was hysterical i didn't want his birthday like and i you know he's my third kid i have yeah. i mean we do birthdays i don't know what the problem was but for some reason anniversaries of things are very hard for me and Mm -hmm. I just knew my body knew before me that like this was like it was one of the best moments of my life but it was one of the worst days of my life as well yeah and so I really struggled with that Mm -hmm. and I struggled with it for years and years to come did you really I did um did you talk to Matt about it did he realize yeah Yeah. um Matt struggled too he did too he struggled with Easton on a different level right um Easton was also so he was born with PPHN which is you know just a very rare um condition with at the time it was about a 50 percent mortality rate yeah um but he then was on so many drugs that he was like a drug baby. So yeah. when we brought him home, he withdrawal. He yeah, was in withdrawal. Withdrawals, and yeah. he screamed for a minimum of 23 hours a day. Oh he my never, God, ever, ever stopped screaming. Never. Oh. But you have to keep in mind that we also have a one and three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And Matt has also had a wife in bed for 20 weeks with yeah, a one and three-year-old. Them. Yeah. It was just a really tough time for us. Yeah. Um, he had a hard time like connecting with him because somebody had to take over Easton and somebody had to take over my other kids. You right. couldn't take care of all of Both. them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with one is, yeah. screaming and, you know, right, all right. day long. So that was a tough time too. And we talked about it and we just, I just, again, went back to my old habits of the eating disorder, except with, instead of not eating, I just shoved everything down. Like I just shoved all my feelings aside and just mm-hmm. like kept motoring on and, yeah. and motoring on, yeah. which kind of leads to like the second part of my life um, where things shifted again Mm -hmm. um I later um just really started to struggle with anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression Mm -hmm. and I was back to work now Easton was doing okay I was back to work and um you know my kids were 
all going to school and I was just feeling like um like the world was like crashing down around me Mm. um it was very debilitating and again it was sort of like the eating disorder but I didn't because I was actually eating right I didn't understand what was happening to me right um it got to the point where I uh I couldn't leave my house I was staying Mm. at home um I stopped showing up in my kids' classrooms. Like, I would be signed up to do the Valentine's Day party, and I would call my mom hysterically crying and say, I can't, I can't get there. I can't get there. You know, what are you going to do? Oh. Um, so she would go. I'm pretty sure I cracked a couple of ribs sobbing on my bedroom floor at one point. Um, it, was a, it was a very, very dark, dark time, time for me. Time for you. Um, Something in me always kind of knew I couldn't go back to the eating disorder thing. And I really think it's Paige. I think it's my daughter. Uh-huh. Um, that I couldn't be that example for her. For her, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it just turned to something else. And what I've learned is that this is all the same thing. Whether you're an alcoholic or a drug mm-hmm. addict or an eating or you have an eating disorder or any kind of mental illness that you carry... It just manifests in different ways. Different ways Even yeah. people who are, you know, criminals and always in jail and, mm-hmm. you know, people that just can't get their life together. It's all suffering is From, what it is. Yes. That's, that's the bottom line. That's true. And so it just comes out in different ways. And in my life, it just manifests wherever I think it fits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped leaving my house. I would always work out. So I'd get up and go work out and then I would come home and I would not leave and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry. And then when my kids would get home, Matt, I would either leave the house and drive around in parking lots and cry. Mm-hmm. I would park in down dirt roads and cry. I, um, Matt would just take the kids out of the house so I could stay there. I mean, it was awful. Um, did you have anybody you could talk to at that time? No. A friend or a, or a mom? I, or I told nobody anything. You didn't? Nothing. You didn't feel comfortable nope. enough to? I didn't want to deal with it, and yeah. I didn't want to talk about it, and I didn't want to go to therapy, and I didn't want to do you anything. You just wanted to fix it to yep. yourself. Yeah. yeah. And quickly, that didn't happen. Right. So I eventually did have a friend, and mm-hmm. he had a therapist, and he said, you don't even have to leave your house. She's, um, it's all like virtual, which is like, crazy because that's how we are now yeah (laughs) but then we were um she was like in south carolina i believe Uh and i called her one day out of desperation and i said i just i'm 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 broken i Mm -hmm. can't i can't Mm -hmm. live this life i don't want to live this life Mm -hmm. um my kids need a mom that i'm not my husband needs a wife that i'm not i i just i don't really i'm not going to commit suicide but i i don't I want to leave them to have a better life mm-hmm. is what I want to Aww. do. I want to move out of the way uh-huh. and let my family have, have the life, life they deserve. Um, but I was in there because I was afraid that this person wouldn't tell them that they loved them every day. I'm afraid that, that they wouldn't brush their teeth every That's day. Right. I'm afraid that they wouldn't make the right lunch. Like So I think in my soul, I knew that it was for me, but I, I just Good. couldn't do it. Uh-huh. So this was a really complicated and dynamic situation in our house. Um, Matt and I's relationship was, I don't want to say it was deteriorating, but it wasn't good. Strange. He didn't have a wife, right, you know, right. and his whole goal was to work and support us and to protect the children from their mother. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the turning points at that point was that my kids at this time, gosh, it was five years ago. I mm-hmm. think that they were in pre-K, first grade and third grade. Uh-huh. And my son came in one day and he said, I know that you're, I hear you crying in the bathroom every day. Oh. And I didn't know that. Huh. Um, my daughter, who's super sassy in first grade, is like, you can't just lay in bed for the rest of your life. 
Oh, wow. So this was like all kind of coming like at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this lady that I had talked to, this therapist, I was literally talking to her every day on the phone. And she was just like trying to get me into all these places. And I was like, no. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to offer you any more places. You're going to tell me when you're done. Okay. And when you're done, then I'll help you. Uh-huh. So I don't know what happened. One day I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I called and I said two words. I said, I surrender. Mm. Done. Mm. She's like, okay. So um, she put me in touch with three different admissions people in three different places. And I, first person, I was like, nope. Second person, I was like, nope. Third person, I was like, how quick can I get there? Huh. Um, so I just, just by it. talking to them, yep. you just, okay. I just okay. know. You have, you to, have trust to know. Your yes, you and do. And these other you places, do. I was like, no. Yeah. So then came, you know, the, the, the next part, which I was, you know, needed to get in there and there's no insurance. So this is another issue that a lot of women face is there's yeah, no insurance. No insurance, yeah. And I had to do the unthinkable for me is to call my mom and dad and say, I need you mm-hmm. to help me save my life. Right. Um, and they did. Of course. They yeah. made it happen. Yeah. yeah. And I boarded a plane uh-huh. to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, Cottonwood Day Tucson is where I went. Mm-hmm. Um, by myself and flew in in the middle of the night to a you place I've never been. Um, you didn't want anybody to go with you? No. no. So the flight was booked, everything was booked, and then my husband booked himself a ticket. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, no, 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 you can't come here. Uh-huh. You, who's going to stay with the kids? Like, their mother is leaving them for 30 days. Yeah. Like, you can't go. So I didn't let them go. Uh-huh. My kids got home, and I had exactly, like, 55 minutes to tell my children that I was leaving them for a month. Huh. And then to go to the airport. And it was the worst day yeah. ever. Yeah. Leaving horrible. your children mm-hmm. and husband. Saying yeah. that I'm leaving you. Yeah. And they didn't know why. So I always said I had right. a headache. This was okay. like the thing. Mm-hmm. So God only knows what these people talk. The <laughs> next day, like, I was like, you have to tell the teachers. So I emailed the teachers and said that, you know, mom's, you know, gone away for a little uh-huh. while or whatever. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, we already heard. So they all, my kids went in and, you know, kids they are very, us, yeah, they yes. told them, they said, yeah. my mom left for 30 days for a bad headache. So I'm sure, <laughs> I didn't care what anybody well, thought, I know. but I'm sure <laughs> that I know that people had some ideas or whatever. <laughs> Something's happening, yeah. Um, but this place was, um, was interesting and hard and great. So I got there at 2 a.m. Uh-huh. And they picked me up and I literally just, I got, I was so broken mm-hmm. that when I got there and they had me strip down and do a strip search and they asked me all kinds of questions. I didn't read any of the papers I signed. They uh. took my phone. Um, they took everything I had and put me like in a room, like a sterile, like detox room. Yeah. And uh, no meds. No, nothing. 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 Because I had been put on a lot of meds that were making me crazy before I left by people trying to help me. Like right. really old school meds that yeah. nobody should be on. I had a migraine. I lost vision, lost vision in my left eye. Like uh-huh. I was in the worst shape ever. And uh, I stayed there for a little while. And then they um, moved me into what they call the community. And these people were not eating disorders. I mean, there were some with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of alcoholics. There was a lot of drug addicts. There were um, two from federal prison. Oh, okay. That were um, mandated to go there straight from prison. So they haven't even had, like, a driver's license or an address or anything. I mean, huh. so I was, like, kind of shaken up. Like, this isn't where I belong. Oh, belong, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was where I belong. And, you know, the first five or ten days, I, I didn't, I don't really remember. I couldn't stay in a room. I had anxiety attacks upon anxiety attacks. That's tough. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, you could only call your family during certain times, and it was like on a calling card. Oh. Um, no, nobody could call you. 
Um, it was a really rough, rough time. I met with a psychiatrist there who I think has given me my life back completely. Um, he was actually the director of the, of the clinic at that time. And Mm. I walked in there and I just, he said, I was curled up in a ball and he, I couldn't make eye contact with him and my hands were sweating. And, Mm -hmm. um, he said, I don't think that you have depression. Mm. I think you have anxiety. Mm. And, um, he said that he saw a light in me Mm. and he, he compared it to a dimmer light switch. He Mm -hmm. said, all I want to do is tone you down a little bit so Mm. that you feel more in control, but I don't want to turn your light off. Yeah. I'm not going to turn your light off. Right. And I was very against meds for no apparent reason at all, just because I like to be stubborn. Mm -hmm. And we tried a million different things. And that's the cool thing about being impatient is you, like if you go to a psychiatrist, you're going to say, okay, we'll see you in four to six weeks. Right. They're going to see me tomorrow. Yeah. And then again tomorrow. And then again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we tried a lot of things that didn't work. And we tried a lot of things that do work. And, um, I'm on like the perfect, you know, I take, um, what do I take now? I take a, um, mood stabilizer Mm -hmm. and I take an antidepressant. Okay. Um, and then I do have Xanax available to me, which I, I used to take for a day, which was crazy to me because now if I take one, I'm passed out for six hours, (laughs) but (laughs) I functioned on four a day, Right. but you know, medication kind of works as you need it. So like if you just take a Xanax because you feel like it, you're going to fall asleep. If you take a Xanax because your anxiety is so high, it might not even be you. So, you know, you, I learned a lot about drugs and, and how, how to use them effectively. Um, my doses were very high when I was there. They're very low now. Mm -hmm. So I'm on a good maintenance plan, but there it was sort of like the eating disorder place where you were in, um, you were in different groups all the time. You had a small group that you met with, which was like a safe place. There's like four or five people and a therapist. Uh-huh. And then the rest of it was almost like a, um, it's almost felt like college kind of like they were, they were teaching you. Oh. They were teaching you about grief and they were teaching you about shame and they were teaching you about trauma huh. and they were teaching you all these things. And all of the things in my whole life made right. sense to me. Just going to those classes in that and place. Listening. Wow. I didn't know that I had shame. Right. I didn't know that I was shameful. I didn't know that I was embarrassed of my life. You know, to the outside, I think it's important to know that people's perception of me is nothing of what I'm telling you. Right. People think I have it all. Mm-hmm. People think I have it all together. They think I right. have it all. And that is why I like to be so open about it is because I don't like that. Right. I don't like that stigma that everyone's like, oh, she's yeah. perfect. And, you know, she can do this and she does that. No, no. I'm a mess. No. And I'm okay no. with it. But you're good at hiding it. I guess I, you just I all your life you learn. I've learned because to, I was 12 years old. Yes, exactly. And I was hiding it then. Then, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, there is judgment to it. And then the grief, like the grief isn't about somebody dying. It can be. Right. Um, I was actually inpatient with a woman whose son was killed in a car accident like two months prior. Uh-huh. Um, and she was a broken mess too. Uh-huh. Um, but it's... It can be that kind of grief, but my grief was there was a lot of loss in my life. Yeah. I missed out on a lot of things. I had grief over what I'd done to my family. Yeah. I had grief over missing opportunity. Like it just I I might have gone to school but I didn't participate in school. Right. Like yeah. you know, and the trauma, the trauma doesn't have to be sexually sexually abused. That right. seems to be a big one. I had other trauma, mm-hmm. other things mm-hmm. that I don't really want to share and I don't share, but I mean Everybody has a story. And so judging a book by its cover is the worst thing you can do to somebody. Absolutely. It's terrible. Um, So once I got to this 
I always describe this trip, it, it, was, it was crazy. So I didn't have a clock, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have any medicine. I'm in a dark room alone in the middle of the night. I can't even remember what the name of the place is that I'm at. Like, uh -huh. it was awful. And I would go up and I would go to a group and they just, everybody would tell me, I just cried. I just uh -huh. would sit there and like, it was like a faucet was on in my eyes. I just, I never could stop. And then one day I got up and I kind of like pulled my hair back. Like, huh. oh, so that was like an improvement. Uh -huh. And then like one day, like I put on lip gloss and everyone huh. was like, hey, yeah. hi, who are you? You know, like right. the curtain kind of started slowly to lift slowly. Mm -hmm. um, but I did the work. Like I had to make a timeline of my life. I had, I mean, I was, I'm telling you, it was like school. I had to go back and figure out what, what? the heck happened to me. So is that what happened? You went back and you relearned all kind the of, things yeah. about yourself? Something super interesting, though, in the human mind is when I was in Denver, mm -hmm. when I was like 15 or 16, I didn't remember my childhood, like my early childhood. You my didn't. mom brought me pictures. I like blocked everything out. Oh, oh. It's very, very bizarre what your mind is capable of. Can do, of. yeah. Um, and was so, it because, was it painful? I, I mean, don't I don't want know. to cry. No, I no, don't know. No. I know. There was no abuse. There was like, nothing like course, that. Yeah, and no. I just, I just... I don't know. Just I just know. blocked certain parts. And uh -huh. I feel like in Arizona, like in some treatment centers, you can kind of skirt around and like, just if you show up, like whatever. No, they, you didn't just show up. You mm -hmm. had to participate. You had assignments due. You had, you know, things to, to figure out. And I learned so much from other people. I learned so much from the alcoholic dad that his daughter didn't want him to walk him down the aisle mm -hmm. to the guy who came from prison who used to sit with me at breakfast every day for some mm -hmm. reason uh -huh. and then the grieving woman and you know these people were one of the one one person there was actually a prince in England huh. and he came across you know the street message yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. because he didn't want to be treated over there okay yeah. um but yeah. these people they're you know they were all walks of life mm -hmm. um there were teenagers like not 18 year olds that were just ad addicted to different drugs there was right. all kinds of things but i really felt like so um so relate i could just relate to relate them so to them. much and that's when i really learned that everything um it's all the same. It all comes from one source. So where I've manifested my feelings into an eating disorder, that was what I could do when I was young. Right. That gave me control there right. that no one could mm -hmm. take from me. Yeah. As I grew up, I couldn't do that anymore hmm. because I had a daughter. Right. So I had to find something else mm -hmm. or another avenue to get it out because the pain doesn't go away. No, no. So that's why it kind of shifted for me. And then I think lastly, where I'm in this new stage of my life where I'm competing mm -hmm. um, in this, you know. Okay, so I think the next phase of my life where I had to find um, something else to do with some of this energy has really been um, in my new, you know, I, I compete in bodybuilding now. And I would say that I am not recovered from an eating disorder. Um, I would like to say that, but I am mm -hmm. not. I am very disordered um, in in my way of eating. I can keep myself um, where I'm at right now, mm -hmm. but only really if I have a focus. So that's sort of where I really got into working out. And um, whenever I do something, I'm like so dedicated. And so I was able to put on some muscle and really work towards different goals. Mm -hmm. So um, by competing... I have this wonderful coach. She's like, she's, she's like a life coach. She's more mm -hmm. than just a coach to me. Her yeah. name is Leanne, and I love her dearly. But um, so Leanne really helps, um, helps me to stay healthy. So 
When I am training for a show, which is pretty much year round, I have to eat a certain amount of calories and I follow mm-hmm. a meal plan. Now for, for a lot of people, this is very hard, but for me, somebody who likes control, somebody who likes to make sure I'm doing it right, this is um, very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. For example, I haven't been tracking my food since um, my last prep. I was taking a much needed break and trying to eat intuitively. And all that happens is I lose weight. Huh. I think I'm eating really well. I can stay off the scale. I think I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm, st- I'm, I'm basically you know, kind of starving myself. Um, I, my weight is very close to my stage weight, which is not a good thing for building. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't put me in the healthiest spot. But when I go back and start tracking my food, it makes sure that I keep myself at a healthy weight. It makes sure that I'm able to continue to build muscle and be strong. And it gives me goals. Right. And I think that it, it has actually kind of saved me again in this part of my life because I cannot have an eating disorder right now. I have a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. I cannot do that. Right. I don't want to do that. But for me, that's just the way my brain is wired and right. works. Yeah. So for right now, this is a great outlet for me to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people say, you know, usually we discourage people with eating disorders to compete. Mm-hmm. It's not good for them. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of feel like I'm black or white. Either yeah. I'm going to be an active person in an eating disorder or I'm going to compete yeah. and be the best that I can possibly be. Yeah. So it's actually a healthy thing for me and I really enjoy it. I'm really learning the balance between taking days off of tracking, going out with my friends, having that one day a week. I didn't used to give myself anything. Okay. Yeah. So now when I'm not right in prep for a show, mm-hmm. I give myself that one or two days to do whatever. And then I follow the protocol for whatever is prescribed to me. Uh-huh. Um, and I work out every single day. It's my best outlet. Um, I can't imagine starting a day without it mm-hmm. because it just, it's makes me feel alive and accomplished and yeah. Um, it's great for your anxiety too. It's you so know? good for it my anxiety. You and I, you know, and, yeah. yeah, I love it, you know, yeah. but one thing I, I do want to touch on before, um, before we end is that I find that social media is so bad for, it is, it <laughs> for really is mental well-being and yes, mental illness. Is. Um, I get a lot of messages on my social media and I have never publicly or will never mm-hmm. pretend to be something I'm not. Mm-hmm. I am an open book. I will tell you anything. I, I don't feel ashamed or embarrassed um, about who I am and how I've gotten to be where I am. Right. Um, I do consider myself a success story, if that's a thing. Absolutely. Um, I am almost 40 with three healthy kids, a wonderful marriage. I'm back to work. I'm working out professionally. Yeah. I'm thriving in so many areas of my life. Yeah. But I'm here to tell you that last week, I almost couldn't get out of bed. Hmm. It happens. I have mental illness. I do. And what I have learned is that I have learned how to, I've learned how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I've kind of learned how to, what I always say is I can walk through the fire because I know that there's, it it ends. I know. I'm going to come out. Yeah. And what people post on social media, I mean, for God's sakes, I don't even know if someone's posting themselves or a filter anymore. I'm so confused. And then like, yep. I saw somebody recently and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> they don't look anything like, like what I, that like literally nothing like what I thought. No, nope, no. Nope. And so, you know, I feel like for young people with the social media, we didn't have it. So no. this was a much different place and right. I was still messed up. Imagine now how I would how, be, you know, would, yeah. that when you're looking, you, I want everyone to realize that you're looking at what people want you to yes, see. Yes, yeah. 
They are not showing you what's really happening. That is so and I don't true. know anybody that doesn't have days where they literally don't want to get up. Yeah. Yeah. And where, you know, their marriage is perfect and, you know, everything's perfect. I mean, and I'm the first to, I have hair extensions. Mm-hmm. I have my, I get la- my lashes done. Mm-hmm. I will never try. Right. I don't want anyone to think that I am something that I am not. See, nobody's perfect. You no, know that. Nobody I don't, is. You know, I don't, you know so. well, I didn't wake up and grow this weave. Like, this is like, you know, you can yeah. do whatever you want. But right. I just, I always want to be forthcoming. And I hope that I'm never misleading um, if you do see my social media, I don't think that, um, I am, but I would never want to be misleading, but I do get a lot of, um, you know, people reaching out like, how did, you know, how did you get that body? Listen, this body has been through, through hell, hell and back. Yep. And yeah. I mean, this body wasn't created. It's not even a happy body half the time, but you know, like it's more than what you see. And I think that that's super important. And that I think it's is. super important to find that one person and that, I don't think that weak people have issues and weak people get help. I actually think they're the strong ones. They are the strong ones, yes. I think that people Asking that can for recognize... help is the, is the sign of strength. It is. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that I've, got, I've gained a lot of mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, my, my life is still a, a very rocky roller coaster that goes up and down. And, um, you know, just... See, everybody's life has ups and downs. Everybody's, nobody has a perfect life, okay? Mm-hmm. Mental illness, some, it is, it is so common. It mm-hmm. is so common. It's nothing to be ashamed of for having a mental illness. Right. What you should be ashamed of that you have not asked for help. Yep. Go out there, get help, and use it. Use it for yours like you yep. did, you know? You turned around this negativity of eating disorder into something positive, yep. like a bodybuilding, yeah. which is your focus. Yeah. And I think... To just listening to your story, I feel that your strength is your stubbornness. Yes. I know that's what, what got you there, yep. but that's the one which got you out of it, it also. Is. It is. So I think that's your strength, and you should, like, mm-hmm. really use it, you know? Yes. And I think whosoever is listening to this, I hope they, they listen to what you have been saying, that this disorder is very common. Mm-hmm. And it's one, it's not just a mental, it's, it's, it's not just an eating disorder. This can happen with people who have depression, yes. people who have, you know, addiction, addiction drug addiction. Um, so it's in all socioeconomic status. Yep. It is in all different ages. Yes. It doesn't have to be women. Women are more common, but not has to be women. Doesn't have to be like poor or, or rich or anything mm-hmm. like that, you know? Mm-hmm. You saw, talked about the prince and you talked about the person who was in federal prison, yeah. right? They both yeah. had the same uncommon problem. I their felt goal was, connected to them both. Yes, yeah, see? And because the their same. goal was to get better. So that's what people need to do. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the thing with, this, with eating disorder is that at this time, because people are not acknowledging it's a problem, mm-hmm. so one person dies every hour. One person every hour. That's Imagine so high. they have a very, because of the high incidence of suicide. Like yes. you said, you just wanted to end. You didn't mm-hmm. want to be a part of your kid's life or husband's life because no. you're thinking you're making their life worse mm-hmm. than better, right? So that's what happens to a lot of people when they don't get help, they don't approach, they don't have family support or any kind of a mm-hmm. support or a good treatment option. They just right. give up on this struggle. And there are there are loopholes. I mean. 
even though there's not insurance to some places, I have found a lot of loopholes to get people into places. Uh-huh. And, you know, another thing is that people feel selfish if they go to get help. Do you know what I feel selfish mm-hmm. about? I feel selfish about the five months I hid in my bedroom and didn't yes. see my kids. Yes. I do not feel selfish about the 30 days that I no, left them. No, um, I will tell you that it has marked them. They know. They still mm-hmm. will say, you know, my third grader who's... 13 now will say hey remember when you went to Arizona and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and recently he actually he actually asked me something and it took me completely by surprise because this isn't something we talk about all the time but he's like so what really happened huh what were those headaches huh and I actually said to him I said you know what Carter Mm -hmm. I had headaches because I had a lot of anxiety Uh and I was kind of didn't know how to manage everything and I just wasn't feeling good. Uh I just knew that I needed help to to feel better and to be able to be the mom you needed and you know it was I was suffering from anxiety and depression and he said okay. See? He just wanted to know but he also Uh suffers from anxiety. Okay. He's very anxious Mm -hmm. and I watch it Mm -hmm. and you know my kids don't know my story yet. Not yet yeah but. Um, they will. Yeah, one day, yeah. One day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want my daughter particularly to want to be like me. Right. In that sense. Even though I feel successful. Even though I feel like, you know, I am a real example of, you know, just making, just continuing yeah. to grow. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't need to want to be like her mom in that aspect. Right. Right now. I would just like her to just get through this get the- whole teenage thing and, you know, yes. whatever. I think that my kids have assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't lie to them, but I just haven't shared with them yet. Yeah, but just sharing the fact that you had some anxiety and yes. depression is going to make him feel like, okay, if he ever has a problem, he can come to you. It's like, exactly. I'm not alone. My yeah. mom had this and look, she's doing great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or they'll say, so, what do you take those pills for? At yeah. Night? And yeah. I'll say, you know, I used to say, oh, they're just, you know, to keep me healthy. And, you know, now I'll yeah. say, I, I've told patients, I have terrible anxiety because she's starting to have, I mean, it's, it's anxiety, everywhere. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. year has yeah, been no. so hard for people. And I think kids yes. are suffering so much with they the lack are. of sports they and the are. lack of school and friends. Yeah. You know? I just want them to know that it's real. And, you know, right. I, I'm a source for them. Yeah. But that's... I don't need to divul- div- divulge it all to them just yet. Not yet. They're young and they, they will understand mm-hmm. it as long as you're open about it and they know that they can approach you yes. and ask for help. That's the most important yeah. thing. You Definitely. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I'm, are you doing anything special, anything different? Watching your daughter now, do you like really watch her eat or do, do you, you do? Um, yeah, I'm hypersensitive to it yeah. and I have to keep my comments to myself because I think um, she's very thin. Mm-hmm. So was I. Right. Um, and she's 11 and she's going through she's she's going through that awkward there's this stage of girls that it just yeah. gets very awkward like yeah. she's she's growing taller but she's not gaining any weight or I feel like you know when she gets upset she doesn't eat enough or I just I I find myself watching it a lot but I have to watch my comments because I don't want to introduce a problem to right. her. I don't want to give her attention like whatever I just am like you're not going to dance till you eat dinner period nobody eats yes. dinner at nine o'clock done yeah. eat yeah. it and go or, yeah. you know, I will kind of watch, like, I feel like I watch her in the sense of, God, I don't like her in her room that much. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah. and yeah, I, I, bet. I, yeah. I think that um, psychologically, I know that this is where it started for me. Mm-hmm. So it's a very hot spot for me. Right. So I'm trying really, really hard to find the balance of keeping my finger right on her and also not putting something not putting, on her. Yeah. But yeah, it's a tough spot. It is. And, and it's... 
being a mom most of the moms feel like that also so it's just the fine balance and you know though, i think my mom worries about her now yeah exactly Terribly. yeah like she's like i don't think Paige ate enough of this or i don't <laughs> you know and it's like Paige eats Paige is fine you right, know but right. it's a it's just it's a balance and i'm really it glad is. i have a husband who has been that's been yeah, your and, biggest support yeah, sounds and he's like been it. with me through it all now right. you know um I was 19 when we started dating, uh-huh. and I'll be 40. So right. there's a big time. You know, I went to eating disorder treatment at 23, right. and then I was like 35 when I went to this other thing. So he's literally seen it seen all. Seen it all. all yeah, of it. yeah. And he stood by me through all of it. So which I think is that's yeah the uh, big you time. know big yeah exactly <laughs> a, cre- a lot of credit goes to him as well for as sure. to you for because he's carried a lot around. of the weight in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. He's carried yeah. a ton of the weight. But, yeah. you know, he loves me and supports me and deals with me. And no, I mean, you, you really have an amazing story. And thank, thank you, you for sharing thank you. with us. And as I said, if whosoever is listening out there, if you guys, if any one of you has this problem or think you have this problem, please, please, please don't be a statistics. Get some help. Listen from, you know, learn from Lindsay. You can turn this around and make it positive and productive. So you guys have any questions, you can um, DM me on my IG handle. What's your IG handle? You can pick um, and Lindsay Joy 81 L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-J-O-Y-8-1. Yep. So you can uh, send her a message, send a message on mine. Mine is a glam guy now. You can uh, send me a message on my Facebook, which is um, Mona Hardas OBGYN. Facebook page or to my um, email, which is hardestobgyn at gmail.com. So we'll keep this conversation going. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you very soon.